This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Well, uh, welcome to this uh, special episode of EM Weekly, and I'm excited. To, uh, we're going to be bringing in uh, FEMA Administrator Pete Gaynor here. But uh, before we start, I just want to you know, get a little deeper into this. So obviously here in California, where I'm at, uh, we just had some wildland fires going through, and we had two firefighters that got injured um, during, those, um, uh, during the fire attack. And I just want to let you know that my, my heart and mind are, are out there with the firefighters. Uh, they're both going through the the burn protocol right now, 65% uh, burns on the third and second degree. So um, they're, they got a long time for recovery. And I know it's going to be hard for them and their family. So uh, if you uh, guys have time to send support, please do. And uh, our, our hearts and minds are definitely with them and their families at this time. And I hope for a speedy recovery. That being said, <clears throat> we're bringing uh, Pete Gaynor onto the, onto the show here. And he's, he was officially confirmed by the U.S. Senate. As FEMA, as FEMA administrator on January 14th, 2020. Uh, he has 11 years of experience in emergency management. And before that, he was the director of Rhode Island's emergency management agency uh, in 2015. During the time, he was at the uh, Rhode Island emergency management response to numerous small and large disasters. So he has a very well qualified and very well experienced emergency manager leading FEMA. And so, uh, Administrator Gaynor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Good morning. Morning, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very, very grateful that you uh, make the time to join us today. My pleasure. So we're gonna get we're gonna start off with the with the um, a question that's kind of uh, on everybody's mind right now, or emergency management uh, individuals' mind is is um, we're, we've seen a lot we see a lot of money spent uh, on response and recovery. What's uh what's FEMA what's the plans FEMA has for um, directing some of that? Uh, more attention towards the the mitigation, the preparedness, and the uh, prevention aspects of emergency management. Yep, it, it's a it's a great question and, and well timed. Uh, this past one October, uh, we rolled out our new uh, uh, pre disaster mitigation program called Brick, uh, building resilient uh, infrastructure and communities. Um, uh, eligible uh, uh, applicants can apply right now for that money. And what makes it uh, unique? Uh, first of all, it's 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 a new program. It's not a rehash of uh, the legacy uh, PDM pre-disaster mitigation, although it will have some elements uh, from that program. But really, is a, a new look at the way we do uh, pre-disaster mitigation across the country. Uh, the other part of that is uh, the amount of money we put into it uh, this first year in our pilot year, uh, $500 million, which is uh, 10 times more than we've ever had uh, in a, a mitigation uh, program. Uh, before at FEMA. And uh, it's just not $500 million for the first year. Uh, you know, the, another unique uh, element of BRIC is that it's funded by uh, the 6% set aside from all uh, ongoing disasters. So obviously this year, uh, we've had many disasters, wildfires, hurricanes, COVID. 6% uh, of all those disaster costs go into the BRIC account. And we set that aside uh, for not only this year's um, pre-disaster mitigation program, but for future years. So uh, we want to have a well-funded 
steady, consistent stream of funding uh, that we dedicate for um, uh, uh, mitigation uh, because it really is the best investment we all can make uh, to invest in disaster prevention, vice uh, pay for post-disaster costs like uh, we have been doing historically. So one of the things that uh, that, I, that you mentioned in that in your in your response, which is, it's an amazing pro program. I've, I've looked at it, and mitigation grants are, are amazing. But it's the eligibility part of it. Um, how can we, or how can FEMA, I should say, um, make more people eligible and and make this more uh, advertise it more? One of the one of the let's be so that's one of the biggest things that I've seen is that a lot of people don't know about it. They don't know about mitigation grants. They don't know. And brick is brand new, as you said. What are you guys doing to let people know uh, this is what we have and this is how you can become eligible? No, we, we've done a series of engagements, uh, not just from October uh, to, from to, till today, but uh, probably over the course of uh, uh, the spring and the summer. Uh, obviously, I think a, a lot of attention was on all things uh, other than mitigation was going on. So wildfires, hurricanes, uh, you know, all the other things that have uh, consumed our time. Uh, and, and there's a host of resources that are available to Brick. And what, what I'd be happy to do is send you guys some links. You can share that out with, uh, uh, with your uh, viewership uh, and, and spread it around because there's some really great resources. And one of the, one of the resources is really a, uh, a guide uh, and samples of what kind of uh, projects we're talking about. And it doesn't have to be the $100 million project, you know, the big uh, project that may take years to do. It could be a small project, a $100,000 project. And we want to kind of share those ideas out. And uh, you know we're encouraging partnership uh, with this program. So you can have a private partner, you can have numerous partners, you can have uh, multiple uh, municipalities become partners on it. And so uh, again, the first year uh, we, we want to try to be innovative and creative, and that really is uh, is the game. And we're trying to aim uh, the mitigation dollars at uh, lifelines, right? So to make sure that uh, we 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 point that money at things that count. Uh, and so uh, I'd be happy to share that out uh, with you guys. And, and, uh, and there's a whole host of resources uh, that your viewers can, uh, can share. So what, what can FEMA do to streamline that application process for local jurisdictions and states to, to be able to get that brick money to do mitigation? Well, uh, I, I think one of the things that uh, we've been working on for a while now, uh, years, is trying to uh, consolidate all the different um, um, internet interfaces that we have for grant programs. Uh, it seems that, um, you know, every grant program, so whether it's a, a preparedness program, UASI, um, uh, you know, Homeland Security, fire grants, all have different app, you know, different uh, entry points for, for grants. Uh, and so we have our new, with along with BRIC, we have FEMA Go, uh, which is uh, the, the entry point for BRIC. Uh, we hope it's going to be simple. And that portal uh, will be applicable to all the family of grants uh, as we proceed. Uh, we've already done the uh, assistance to firefighter grant is in FEMA Go. Uh, and so our goal is to con consolidate all that um, complicate, you know, complications down to one uh, intuitive uh, portal uh, to, uh, to apply, track, and close out uh, your grant all in one uh, easy to navigate uh, uh, inter interface. Nice. That's, that's really needed. I know in the past, those uh, grant applications and processes have been been kind of uh, confusing at some point. It is. It's, confu it's confusing, and, and we're dedicated to, to make it less confusing. <laughs> Absolutely. And especially for the agencies that do not have a dedicated full-time emergency manager, um, it gets really 
kind of uh, confusing for those guys to, to walk through yeah, that. Absolutely. Speaking of that, we have a question from the crowd here. So Andrew asked, I uh, would love to love if you could ask the ask him, meaning you, uh, the best advice for new emergency managers for both Blue Sky Times and for new EMs that are starting during COVID. That's a pretty general question, but I guess the question is, is you know, for the new people starting getting into emergency management, that's one of the things that we do here as well with Dan's show, uh, EM student, is, is really trying to help the new emergency manager as well. well what, what advice do you have for them? You know, starting with their, basically, they have to get on the ground running. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially if you're starting your career in 2020, uh, you've been doing nothing but running, uh, either towards the, uh, towards the problem or away from the problem, I guess it's your point of view. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a complicated year to start your career in. Uh, and I'll just give like the complexity here at FEMA. Um, you know, we, we are nearly a hundred percent telework. Uh, all the things that we've been doing, uh, since March have been, uh, with all our, the majority of our employees, we have some obviously around the nation and in, in regions and here, uh, at headquarters, uh, running the national, um, uh, response coordination center, NRCC all in person, plus our partners. Uh, and so it's a little bit more difficult to, if you're starting, right, uh, to uh, make uh, connections with people because obviously uh, we're trying to stay away from each other. So it's been a, it's been a, a, a difficult uh, proposition this year. Uh, and, and you know, for any new uh, EM, uh, you know, th there's there's plenty of problems to solve, right? Uh, and I would I would give some advice that I wish maybe I had gotten early in my career and I started at a uh, in a in a local government and then worked for the state, um, and, and uh, that is, you know, we do response really well in this country, right? We 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 do fire response, law enforcement, uh, you know, public works, you know, because we do it every day, and it and everyone likes response because it's where the action is, uh, and one of the things we 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 uh, don't do well uh, is recovery because it's complicated, it's long, it's hard to see immediate results like you do you do in recovery. Uh, no one likes mitigation, right? It's again, it's 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 uh, complicated. It's hard. Uh, you know, there's lots of rules and regulations. But in the in the, you know, ha and having been in emergency management now for almost 13 years, uh, we probably need to we probably need to refocus on what is most important for communities, and that is uh, mitigation, right? So we talked about brick a little bit. Investment in, in in mitigation before disaster happens. And then investment in recovery because that's what you're going to be graded on. Ultimately, you're going to be graded on, you know, how well your community recovered. You know, did, did you use all the resources of the of uh, the federal government to really make your uh, community more resilient? So, if there's one one thing I could ask of new new um, emergency managers and emergency managers that have been around for a while, you got to focus on recovery and you have to focus on mitigation because that's where the greatest results uh, lie. Okay, another. This is the. A little different, more difficult question. So California just recently went through some stuff that was in the news where uh, FEMA originally denied their grant application for uh, for some fires. I understand the reason why behind it, but can you explain that process of like when a state is asking for funds and what it is on your end, um, how it goes through when they approve or not approve um, the, the funding after a disaster? Yep. Um, you know, so... Uh, Again, you know, California, uh, numerous fires, fires still burning. Uh, probably we, we've issued the most FMAGs, fire uh, management assistance grants ever, uh, not only to California, but to other states like Oregon, Washington, Colorado uh, for fire. So this has been a big fire year. Um, you know, I think what makes, and I'll just, I'll pick on, you asked about California. So 
I think what makes California a little bit more difficult is, uh, and I'll give you I'll give you an example. We were out uh, probably a, a month and a half ago uh, taking a tour with uh, uh, the uh, the stadium, uh, Mark Uh and my regional administrator Bob Fenton uh, in Napa Napa County, where it had, where it had burned, uh, and and going out and look at some of the um, destruction. And then, uh, you know, we come home and a month later, it's burning again, right? So is it an old fire? Is it a new fire? How do you classify all that? Uh, you know, how do you pick apart the new damage from the old damage? It, it, it can be complicated. Uh, and and I must operate under the, the, the law of government. So the Stafford Act has rules and regulations. Uh, and as a, you know, emergency manager, both at the local and the state, now at the federal level, you know, and, and I have a team of emergency managers here, you know, I think we try to push the, the regulations and the law as much as we can we can uh, do uh, to the benefit of uh, those impacted by disasters. Uh, but there are rules, and so you have to meet thresholds. Uh, you have to do damage assessments. You know, you have to do all those kind of things uh, to make sure uh, what we don't want to happen uh, is that uh, you know maybe you maybe you uh, interpret the law a different way and you go too far, and you know the uh, IG comes back or GAO comes back and says, hey, you need to take back money because you you misinterpreted that regulation or that law. And no emergency manager, no governor, no mayor wants the federal government coming back and saying, hey, by the way, uh, we overpaid you uh, $20 million, uh, you know, five years or 10 years down the road. So we try to be diligent on all of those things. And sometimes, uh, you know, it meets the threshold and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and the ultimate, the ultimate arbiter of all this is the president. He has discretion, uh, the final say on all of it, and um, and uh, th and that's how it goes. But there's a process that you know uh, the governor has to apply, and we have to review it, and we make our best recommendations on the data. But ultimately, the president has the final say. Absolutely, and that's what they explained my to my students when they uh, they asked that, you know, that, about the process, and so it worked, right? That's the that's yeah. I mean, so, you know, the, the federal government is not giving money away, right? <laughs> It's not. It's not. It's not that easy. Uh, there are rules and regulations, and we want every. We want to make sure the money goes for things that are important, and we want to make sure we give you the right amount of money so we don't have to take any of it back. And that really is, you know, in my mind, uh, the last thing I want is to come to see my mayor or my governor and say, by the way, we made a mistake, and now I owe or governor you owe because you own the pocketbook. You you had to come up with ten million dollars, and maybe a budget year where you don't have ten million dollars. So right. right, that's how I. That's how my wine works is. We, we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, it, you know, and it's happened in the past, right? I mean, I remember Los Angeles City um, had to pay a bunch of money back after the riots because um, they, uh, they, they you know, muffed some of the paperwork up and, and whatnot. And so, absolutely. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question on, because ultimately through all, everything is going on and we see the, we see the importance of emergency management because we do it every day, right? Um, and, and we're pushing and we would really like to push more for you know, the recovery aspect and, and the proper and properly um, hitting mitigation. Um, but we're still in, in all around. We are still in, in our infancy as a profession, emergency management in general. And um, it's hard to identify. We got to spend this much money up front for the hopes that in the back end uh, we spend less or we don't that we can prevent it from happening altogether. What can we do or what can FEMA do? What can the government do, I should say, to help others realize how important it is to have emergency management practitioners in the, at the we got them at the state level. Most every state has it. But at the, at the more at the local level and the organizational level, 
to, to understand how important it is to have people pushing this, these initiatives and have people in this profession. Yeah, and it's a great question, and it's a hard, it's a hard question. And so, uh, you know, my first my first uh, job as emergency manager uh, in the city of Providence um, uh, was a re you know, I was a result of a disaster going wrong with the previous emergency manager and the previous leadership, uh, and um, and and maybe at the time uh, the mayor did not make the investments and maybe you know didn't pay attention to it. But but I'll have to tell you. After you, uh, after you go through a disaster and after you take a public beating for a, a bad performance, uh, uh, that, that mayor that hired me became uh, my best champion because uh, he had been through a disaster and knew how important it is. And so it's hard for, uh, and, and again, working at the same, it's the same thing, trying to convince a new leader uh, or, a, uh, or an administration that hasn't been through a disaster that they need to invest in emergency management all the time. I mean, it's it's an insurance policy, and and one day uh, maybe all that investment will pay off in uh, you know a really tremendous uh, response and recovery. Uh, and it's hard to convince sometimes uh, a mayor or a governor that hey you make you need to make investment in this thing that may or may not happen, uh, and that includes like mitigation, let alone just investing in an emergency management program. Uh, when uh, that local elected leader, that mayor, has to choose between you know I need more funding for education. I need more funding for social services. I need more more funding for some other initiative that has, you know, a perceived higher higher priority. It's hard to do that, uh, but you have to uh, you have to you have to tell a convincing story to your leadership and to the legislature about how why it's important. Uh, and I would, you know, and I tell all emergency managers if you haven't had a disaster in your community, or you haven't managed a you know significant disaster, uh, you need to look for an opportunity to go shadow, uh, you know, someone. Uh, whether it's in another state or another county, uh, and, and shadow somebody on an active disaster, and more importantly, on an active recovery, uh, because uh, you can read about it, you can you know take ICS courses, all those kind of things, but until you you feel it, you taste it, you smell it, and you see the pain and agony of uh, of a of a recovery or a pain and agony of a uh, a significant disaster response, uh, uh, response, it's going to be hard for you to tell that convincing story to your leadership. So. Uh, if, if you're in that category, you need to get out there, you know, learn that and then tell that story to your elected leaders, tell that story to your legislature. Uh, and, you know, and again, I wish I had a little more insight when I first started out, you know, maybe I was, I was focused on response, right? Cause that's what has to happen. Open up the EOC, do all those kind of things that have to happen. But if I had to do it all over again, uh, again, I'd focus more on, on mitigation. I'd focus more on insurance and I focus more on, uh, le legislative change about emergency management. You can have, you can, uh, your governor or mayor can do a uh, executive order, which will last through the life of that uh, governor's uh, time in office, right? Four years. But as soon as that governor leaves or that mayor leaves, and that executive order disappears. Uh, and so all the great things that you had done in those four years kind of goes away. So the only way to, to you know, uh, have a good emergency management program for the long haul is to get legislation, right? You have to legislate some of these things in law so it has endurance over time. So make those investments, uh, even if you're a brand new emergency manager or a, uh, uh, or a uh, well-seasoned emergency manager, make those investments because that's what really pays off. So I, I want to ask a, a question based on that as well. Uh, um, with emergency management and it being a new field, you have a mixed bag of people who go to school, uh, do do emergency management as a profession, 
And then you have those that are collateral duty and really don't know what they're doing when they get put in there. What can we do as an industry, as a, as a business or not a business, but as a, as a function, it is a a business, right? Think about that way. Yep. Okay. What what can we do to get people that are are trained and qualified to sit in a position of emergency management? Um, I mean, I always think along the lines of say post certification for police officers or the basic fire Academy for, for firefighters. Is there something that we can do for emergency managers? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a, a lot, and I and I think Dan said, it, you know, we are a we are a young, in some cases, immature profession. Uh, I think this year, we we have grown a lot this year uh, because I think across the nation, uh, uh, local and state elected leaders, uh, tribal chiefs, uh, you know, territorial governors, have seen the importance of what emergency management can do for your community, especially in a pandemic. Um, you know, you you have to. Um, and, you know, I think the, the problem with this profession uh, is that it's narrow, right? Uh, you know, it's not like becoming a police officer or a firefighter where there's, where there's plenty of uh, bandwidth, plenty of ways to enter that and get some experience as a, a, a firefighter or a, a police officer. Emergency uh, management in some cases, uh, you know, and I'll use my, in the state I came from, uh, I was only one of two uh, full-time paid emergency managers in the state. Everyone else was either collateral duty or volunteer. Uh, and so, uh, and, and one, right. And so getting into the, pro- getting into the profession is hard, not impossible, but it's hard, but you have to be focused and you have to, uh, you, you have to have some drive and enthusiasm to do it. Um, and, and we probably need as a profession, uh, to, to grow like other professions. Uh, so, um, you know, do we need a, uh, emergency management academy? Or emergency, you know, professional emergency management training, and I'm not talking about ICS training or any of that, but like you know, fully immersed uh, academy uh, kinds of uh, uh, programs at the state and national level to make not just not just hope you get a you hire a good emergency manager, but actually grow emergency managers in the profession, get them qualified, get them certified, uh, get them experience. Uh, but we 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 have to build that system. Um, a little bit more deliberately, and uh, it's one of the things that uh, we get a little. We've been a little sidetracked this year, but it's one of the things that has been on my uh, on my my uh, list to do is to try to become uh, more professional. Uh, we're talking about uh, today. Uh, you know, I hired uh, Jeff Stern, who's the uh, former uh, state director in uh, Virginia, to be the superintendent of EMI Emergency Management Institute, and we're talking now about how do we become a FEMA uni- university, right? How do we have that? No kidding, professional uh, uh, campus and professional uh, academics that we turn out these kind of uh, these kind of uh, uh, skill sets. So uh, we we have some way to go. I think we we know there's a shortfall, and uh, and we need to work together to get to that whatever that solution is. Absolutely, I think EMI is one of those places that uh, is a good starting point. Dan and I both are graduates of the Executive Academy, um, and I think the program over there is outstanding and what EMI does and. I think more support for EMI and and as as emergency managers, take advantage of it, right? Go yeah. and sign up for those courses. I mean, they're they're there. They're outstanding instructors. They're they're really well put together, and uh, and the experience of being at EMI is, is second to none. That's just my my little pitch for EMI. Oh yeah, EMI yeah, is uh, definitely so, a push. The academics, are, the academics of it is important, but the, the, there also needs to be an element of you know in in the building of an emergency manager. We send you out. 
and, and to shadow and learn from uh, from emergency manager who's been around and who has an active uh, disaster. There's there's no there's no training, there's no education that can uh, that can uh, um, you know supplant that kind of hands-on stuff. So we have to think about you know the practical application part of what we do. I'm not sure we, we do enough of that. Yeah, the internship, the doing internships, having mentors, um, um, areas where you can get get trained is is huge. But I think ultimately the way is is too is and I would like to see this more is we're really short-sighted in a lot of things we're doing. And I'm seeing positions popping up left and right. Uh, as you said, we grew a lot this year and it kinda, it's kind of like a growth spurt, right? With emergency management, but we're seeing a lot of people and it's still short-sighted. They're, they're putting these positions in place and they're only going to be there until the money runs out. Uh, and it's mainly based on cares money, right? So they put this money in place and they put this position because we're going to need it right now. But the, it's so short-sighted that we need to be looking further down the road. We need to be how do we build this better? And yeah, you know, I think, is a good place. Yeah, as as a like a national platform, right? Uh, and and again, we we are, you know, we do a, a lot of great things, but in some cases we're immature in, in in some of these things. And so, like, what what is the what is the emergency management national platform, right? Uh, what what are we trying to champion as a profession? Uh, uh, this year, what what is on the what is the thing that we want? We we really don't have it, right? right. And, I, and I'm talking not just from from FEMA, but all of us together. You know, we need to have a if we want to make change, it needs to be change that is driven from you know tribes and territories and states and counties and uh, and everyone in between municipalities to drive a national dialogue on what's important to the uh, to the to the uh, to the profession. And maybe uh, that is hey, you need to if you if you don't have a emergency management uh, program, you need to have one and you need to fund it. I mean, that's a dialogue we should have in every state uh, with legislators. Uh, and, and and it can be done, right? We did it with we did it with EMAC uh, years ago. Every uh, every state eventually signed up to EMAC and now we have a national system. But we need to have a national platform uh, driven by professionals and, and associations uh, like uh, uh, NEMA and NACO and IEM that drive a, a consolidated uh, national agenda for emergency management. Because if we don't, you, you can't, you, you know, you have so much to do anyway, right? So it's, it's hard even uh, uh, on, a, on a good day with nothing to do. But if we don't have some sort of um, energy behind that, enthusiasm behind it, and and kind of uh, uh, take all that goodness and leverage it and uh, in, in the, the pointy end of it, right, where, where, the, where the laser focus needs to be, we won't change it. So uh, we need to work hard at that. Yeah, I agree. And, the, and it needs to come down to the individual, too. You have the individual that's doing the job that needs to push that and be the change agent. But you need that at the national level, that that initiative from that has the support that gives them what they need to fight the battles that that they are going to have to fight to establish their importance, establish their position, establish their uh, their the profession in general. And it, it does go down to the individual. But we need that backing. We need that someone that gives us that support that you, we're gonna we're gonna help you along the way. And I think that's one of the things that we're lacking the most is um, we have the individuals in their positions in some places, but they're being they're third, fourth, fifth removed, and they have no voice. Well, if, if us, how do we give them the voice? If there's a year uh, to champion what emergency management has done for your community, right? All all the things that we've done, this is the year. Uh, so uh, so you know. I'm all about working together to, to get that uh, national uh, dialogue about what's important to emergency managers, uh, you know, from top to bottom. There's a couple of questions that are coming in in the chat regarding um, 
the FEMA reserve program and what's the purpose behind it? Um, and can they use, can you use the FEMA reserve program um, as a way to train future emergency managers? Pretty interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, there's, tw there's 20,000 employees in, uh, in FEMA and the majority of those about uh, 13,000 or so are reservists. Uh, and it just, you know, it kind of equates to what a reservist is in the military. You know, we call them up when we need them. Uh, although, you know, it's not exactly the same when you, when you think about what rights a reservist has in DOD, vice FEMA, uh, we're working on to change some of that. Uh, but really is our, is our, is our disaster workforce. Uh, and, and unique this year, uh, because we, we are doing mostly telework, uh, most of our workforce, most of our disaster workforce, reservists, are working from home. Uh, and it's amazing some of the things that we've accomplished from home, uh, especially in disasters. You know, there's, there's a requirement to have, you know, hands-on, face-to-face kind of thing. But we're trying to minimize uh, all that contact uh, to keep our workforce safe. Because if I, if I have a uh, workforce that uh, has, has high positivity from COVID, I can't deliver the mission. And, and I don't want to get disaster survivors, uh, a second disaster, by getting them infected with COVID. So uh, it, it's a balance there. But uh, it's a great, I mean, if you're, if you're not, you know, sure if emergency managers for you and you want to get a taste of it uh being a reservist is really a great way to enter get some experience in something that is of, of interest to you and again i i'd be happy to help uh you guys get connected to how you can enter uh that pipeline i'll 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 get you some uh some information about how you do that that's great thank you uh i i want to kind of talk a little bit the kind of concept of reservist right um with covid and the fact that these EOCs are being just run in the ground in some cases. Um, and then we have, of course, the, the regular disasters, whatever that means, right? The fires and the hurricanes and whatnot coming through. Um, we're seeing a lot more um, local jurisdictions, not just state size jurisdictions, but locals um, hiring contractors and also using uh, unique programs or the volunteer programs, such as like Team Rubicon, uh, to come in and fill roles in the emergency operations center. Are you, do you see more and more contractors or nonprofits being used um, in EM nowadays since just with the op tempo that's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not sure if, it, if it's, if it's, um, if it's more, I mean, there's, um, I mean, I, we've been growing as a, as a, uh, as a organism, right? So it's just not FEMA and it's just not the state and it's just not the locals. It's all those other things that are connected to it. NGOs, uh, private sector, uh, and especially this year with COVID-19, I have met more new, uh, and I'll just speak from the federal point of view, I have met more new um, uh, partners at the federal level that, I've, that I had, had no connection with before. So, uh, you know, uh, whether it's FDA, like, you know, why would FEMA have a, a relationship with FDA? Um, uh, but, but I do now. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's changed that dramatically. Uh, you know, we, I think if we're thinking about contractors, I think we use the majority of contractor support for, uh, you know, you know, some technical disaster recovery, uh, public assistance grants uh, need a lot of disaster uh, contract support, especially uh, for those uh, communities that haven't had a disaster, right? It's kind of all a foreign language. And one way to get that kind of support is through contractor support. Uh, and there's some great contractors out there that do it. Uh, so, I mean, I haven't really seen any big change in it, um, but it is an all hands on deck kind of year this year. All right, Pete, I'm gonna ask the next question. This is a, when we'll wrap up after this. Where do you see emergency management heading in the next five years? 
Yeah, uh, so it, it's a great question. And, and I'm just going to speak from the, the FEMA point of view. Um, we, FEMA, uh, and, and I, this is just my, my prediction. I'm, you know, I haven't, uh, haven't spoken to anyone outside my, my office, but my, my opinion is that uh, based on what we've done this year, uh, FEMA will be asked to do much more. Uh, you know, typically, you know, we only do uh, natural disasters, so all the things that we that you typically see, flooding and uh, hurricanes and wildfires. I mean, that's kind of our bread and butter, the things that we, we do well at. Interagency coordination, we do really well at that. Uh, solving problems, we do really well at that. Uh, and we've upscaled all of that uh, because on the 13th of, of March, it, it, the world all changed, especially for emergency managers where the president signed a uh, national disaster and on, on one day, every state, territory, and the District of Columbia became a major disaster. Never happened in the history of FEMA. Uh, and continually because, and this is the, I think this is the DNA of, of emergency managers, is we solve problems. Uh, and, uh, and, and we may not have all the answers up front. Uh, we may not have, uh, you know, a clear path. We know, you know, intuitively what needs to be done. And, and, and we have been doing that. We have been doing it at the locust level to the, fe to the, to the federal level with, with FEMA and my partners. Uh, so I think it's going to, I think it's going to change where FEMA is, 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 has responsibilities much greater than national disasters. And, and, and I'm, I'm, you can use the pandemic uh, uh, COVID-19 response as a as a uh, example of, of how the nation called on us to do that. Uh, and again, uh, to the credit of emergency managers across the country, uh, we have solved, uh, you know, and I'm not saying COVID is, is over by, by no means, we still have a ways to go, but we have solved some major problems. Uh, and, and again, we've been asked to do things that we haven't done before. Uh, the president asked us uh, to do lost wages uh you know nationally you know we have a authority under the stafford act to do disaster unemployment assistance but you know that's kind of a narrow impacted by a hurricane kind of uh, thing like narrow in scope and geography uh and uh you know in five days uh we came up with a brand new program uh and in seven days we had uh the first three billion dollars on the street and today uh we nearly have all the money on the street 44 billion dollars in lost wages that's not, that's a Department of Labor thing, right? It's not a FEMA thing, but we did it because, it, it, because the, the times demand it uh, and, and, the, and the situation demands it. And, uh, and that's, so, the, you know, the bottom line is uh, we're going to be, we all will, will be asked to do much more uh, than we have in the past because we've demonstrated that we can solve uh, and act on really thorny problems quickly. OP, I know you have to get running, and I thank you so much for your time today. Um, and uh, I'd like to do this again sometime. Sure. Anytime. Just just schedule it. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. All thank right. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time, Todd and, and Dan. Appreciate it. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Awesome. Hey, uh, everybody. Thank you again for, for listening to us. And and also, I want to thank our sponsors um, for for taking the time for us today. We have uh, Titan HST for mass certification uh, needs and more COVID track tracing, and also for uh, uh, just situational awareness going on. Also, I would like to say thank you to uh, the Outer Limit Supply Company uh, for, for their support as well. And again, if you use EM Weekly, all capitals, uh, you can get a 20% uh, discount on their products there, and they're really high in stuff. Um, and I think that you're going to really enjoy it. It's not, you know, when you get a, a kit from them, it's not just a bunch of band aids. 
Um, it is, it's a really well put together. And I tell you, as a, as a medic, a former uh, Navy corpsman, uh, when I took a look at their kits and I knew that they were the real deal. And it's also put together by a current working firefighter medic out of Colorado. And so he knows his stuff as well. And, oh, and also don't forget about VanQuest bags. My favorite bag now that I carry is the VanQuest bag with the, with it's or Dan's laughing because Dan wants his own VanQuest bag as the orange uh, liner on the inside of it. It's awesome because I'm always losing my stuff and my other bags are dark in the inside. Oh, look at this. The VanQuest bag is right here. I'm telling you, look, I, I feel like I'm doing an infomercial and more. See, that's orange inside there. I open this up. I can see everything that's inside there. I don't lose my keys or everything else I throw in there. Um, and it's just one of those things that help me out. Uh, 100% professional bag right there. Again, 20% discount with EM Weekly, all capitals. So I want to thank the sponsors uh, for having us here. Dan, what do you got to say? What, what do you think of the interview with Pete? I think it's, it was it was great. It was it was amazing that he could share his time with us today. A lot of good information uh, came from it. And, and it sounds like... Uh, uh, we have going to have a lot of support coming from uh, the tier, top tier of emergency management profession. Absolutely. Hey, you know, we had a lot of comments, and I'm sorry we couldn't get to them all um, and, and whatnot going through this. Uh, but I'd like to run through a couple of them. And I know um, Eric Alberts, he's talking about the idea of, of going to EMI, which is really hard to get to uh, due to time constraints and stuff like this. And that's like everything else, right? When we're looking at doing training, uh, we have to set time aside to do training. And it might be easier said than done. Um, so Eric, I, I agree with you. And having quality online education programs through EMI, I know for sure. I've been talking to those guys over there um, and they, they were talking about putting these on uh, better than the, um, you know, the, the stuff they have right now. They want to do some more um, synchronous courses as well through their online platform. And then I want to cover uh, one more um right here and it says uh the conrad says that he would love to see fema state and local municipalities and ems develop a community program fundamentally different from cert that helps uh families and neighborhoods work together to prepare for disasters and and i think i think you're absolutely right conrad we need to do a better job uh, of, of creating that resilient community and if you've seen my other stuff i've done in the past resiliency and now i'm really getting into the concept of anti-fragility uh for our communities because when we have a community that can be anti-fragile or resilient right when it comes to response um and and doing the disaster portion of it it's going to make the make it easier and then when it comes to recovery obviously it's going to make it even better when you have that resilient community that's able to come back bounce back from from disasters so dan final words before we go well, you know, as, as an as an individual uh, emergency manager, as a professional, um, we need to we need to make the effort. We need to be the champion. It's going to be great to have that that support, but be the be the champion for your for your organization, for your jurisdiction. Uh, and and it it is hard, uh, especially when you're the only person doing it, to get away or to make time for professional development. But uh, it, it is absolutely worth it in the end. Uh, let's do our part uh, to uh, be the best emergency manager we can be and to build the next generation of emergency managers. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Again, thank you so much for being with us today here at EM Weekly. Dan, thank you for your time. Pete, thank you for your time as well. And don't forget, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, on your favorite podcast player. Everybody out there, stay safe, stay hydrated. It is.